This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 2. I rarely do what I'm going to do tonight, and that's just to go through a book of the Bible, but we're going to go through this whole psalm tonight. Uh, Last night, when it was getting close to bedtime, I had a message that was just needed the final touches on for tonight, and uh, I'm reading a book on on, uh, the future according to the Bible, and uh, God impressed on my heart to start a series, which I'll be on for the next few weeks, on the signs of the times. And uh, it's kind of a follow-up, if you will, to the series on, on discipleship. And my purpose is to help us understand where we are on God's calendar. Um, the closer we get to the end of this age, the more important assembling together as a church becomes. We're all familiar with Hebrews 10.25, which says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I believe that COVID, in a way, is one of the signs of the time, which I'm not going to deal with that in this series, other than what I say tonight on it, uh, because I don't think it is one of the plagues. And the reason I don't think it is one of the plagues is because uh, COVID has a 99.6, I think it is, survival rate. I can't call that a plague. Even amongst older people, over 65, the survival rate is 96.4%. And uh, the CDC finally admitted that those who died for COVID was just a little over 10,000 instead of the large numbers they were giving us. So, uh, so I don't think that's one of them. But what COVID did do is it got people out of church. That's the biggest thing that it did. Uh, you know, if you haven't assembled, you haven't been to church. Now, I thank God for streaming our services and things like this. I thank God for that because there are people who can't be in church that have health problems. And for them to have uh, the services uh, broadcast into their home is a good thing. So I'm not against streaming, but if you're not in church and you could be in church, you're not faithful to God's principles. Um, We're to assemble more as the end of the time gets closer. Watching a service online, it's kind of hard to do what it says here in in Hebrews 10.25 where it says exhorting one another. How do you do that if you don't get together? And there are other things. You can read the context. You'll find even more things uh, that make it important. So, like I say, it's good to have them, but shouldn't keep people out of church. I think that avoiding church service is another sign of the times we're in, and it's another one that I probably won't say much more than what I say tonight on it as I go through this series. What I want to look at tonight is here in Psalm chapter 2, and I want to look at the rage against God. So let's just read the whole 
chapter. I know this is difficult for me because I get dyslexic, but it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people vain, imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art mine son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are they that put their trust in him. That psalm is talking about the, the, the way things have been actually since uh, the Garden of Eden. Let me stop and think about it. Uh, and I'll say more about that in a little bit, but, but the rage against God started in the Garden of Eden and it's continued. What does that word rage means? It means they joined themselves together to agitate against something. And in this case, of course, it's God, and it says, Lord in all capital letters, so it's Jehovah God. They, they joined themselves together to fight against God. And that's what we see today. Uh, it's sickening to watch what's happening in this country. I was talking with uh, Natalie this afternoon, and she found a chart. Uh, I tried to find it afterwards, and I would have shown it to you tonight. But it's a chart that charts out 64 different genders. No, there are two. All the others are perversions, and they're all psychological and not physical. They're fighting against God. It says they imagine a vain thing. Vain means empty, and what it's saying is, is that what they imagine that they can do is worthless, because they cannot stop God. God is bigger than anything everybody on this earth combined could even think about doing. And uh, so they're imagining a great thing, and it says the rage is against the heathen. And we usually take that word to mean those who are uh, uh, following after pagan religions, and there's some truth to that, but um, what that word actually means is the nations. So it's in all the nations. You'll see it in all the Gentile nations throughout the world. You'll see this rage against God. And not only that, and this is really the most sad part after all he's done for them through the centuries, you'll find it in Israel also. They also have a, a, a rage against God. Uh, even their so-called orthodox are against God. So uh, it, it's just a sad thing. And although it began in the garden, 
it made a major leap forward in the 19th century. And we'll look at that a little bit more in, in the, uh, a little bit later in the message. But we need to understand that it's in the 19th century. That's the 1800s for those of you who have little problem with putting the way we do it like we're in the 21st century and we're in 2000 so it gave rise, uh, rise to evolution not that nobody believed that before that but that's when it came out and started taking over our 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 education system and our scientific thinkers and things like this it gave rise to humanism and it's a different kind of humanism that was before that I mean, uh, some of the great men of God back in the 1400s were what they called humanists, but it didn't mean the same things as it does today. It gave rise to communism with Karl Marx and socialism. It gave rise to militant atheism. There's always been atheists, but it's when atheists started fighting. You had people like uh, Nietzsche, or however you pronounce his name, and those kind of people that stood up and fought against God. and. And, and those kinds of things. And Voltaire was anti-God, but he was before that. But Voltaire was, was anti-God, but he on his deathbed, deathbed supposedly raised up his fist towards God and said, Jesus, you won. So he knew in the end who was right. So th that's the people. Then, then there's the rulers, the kings and the judges. The people's rage against God freed the rulers to do what they wanted to do. If the people weren't fighting against God, communism, these dictatorships and things, you know, folks, even in communist China, the power is with the people. There are more Chinese people than there is a Chinese army. And if they wanted to overthrow the government, they could. But the government has them too afraid to do it. So the power is with the people. So the people turned against God and that allowed the kings to rage against God and get together and counsel together and talk with each other and say, how are we going to do this and that? Look at the world today. I mean, look at, look at our present administration, looking up in Canada, look at nations around this world how they're joining together against the things of God. The reason they do it is because they don't want any restrictions on their debauchery, on their wicked lifestyles. They want restrictions. They want to do whatever they want. And they know that if they destroy moral values, they destroy the family and the whole world goes into chaos and they can come in with their dictator and rule over everything. And so we need to understand uh, that that's why it's happening. I mean, the sodomy. You know, there was a day when <clears throat> if you were a sodomite or a homosexual or something, you hid. You didn't tell anybody. But now, if you tell them you're a heterosexual, you're the one that's a bad guy. If you believe in, in the genders mixing together as they're supposed to mix together, you're the bad guy. Transgenderism. I mean... I'll tell you something, if I was a feminist today, I would be so much against this transgender stuff because it's hurting women. Again, I was talk we were talking with Natalie, she was over this afternoon, and I mentioned Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner was quite a good athlete. And when he got old enough where he couldn't compete with the, women, with the men anymore, and even some of the women were beating him, he became a woman so he could compete. 
and you'll not convince me anything different. Uh, but uh, what in the world have you got? Uh, this lady was, was uh, kicked out of the YWCA for making a comment about some man dressed in a woman's bathing suit in, the, in watching little girls take their showers. I mean, he was a trans, I'm a woman. No, you're not a woman just because you say so. But, uh, and pornography. Pornography has always been out there if you wanted to find it, but you used to have to go look for it. I remember, this is when I first took the church in, in Bellingham, I remember that all of a sudden I started getting these emails with dirty pictures in them. And they didn't have all the filters we have today and stuff like this. And I sent a scathing email back to the people who were sending them to me, and I learned, don't do that. They'll just send you more. And I learned to screen them out. And I don't get them anymore, but, but I used to get them. But it's all over the place. It comes looking for you. You don't have to go looking for it. I mean, it's on TV. It's in the commercials. I mean, you're, you're watching a nice G-rated movie, and here comes a commercial. And you've got to flip to another channel or turn it off or something or just turn the other way, whatever you can do. It's everywhere. And it comes to us. And that's what they want. It destroys society. See, Satan's goal, and by the way, when you listen to these so-called conspiracy theorists, there is a conspiracy. And most of the people involved don't know it. The head of the conspiracy is Satan. And he wants to destroy everything of God. He wants to destroy mankind. He wants to destroy this, this earth. He wants to destroy everything. He knows his destination. He knows he can't get out of it. He wants to take as many as he can with him. That's why we need to be faithful in this church and help this church and do what we can and pray and everything else for this church to grow so we can keep people from going there. But it's, but it's, it's, it's all about destroying this. But the rulers lined up with the people. And the people have control over that. The next person that we see in here is God. And I just like this part where it says, he will laugh at them. But it's not a laugh of something's funny. It's a laugh of derision, a laugh, a laugh of scorn. It's a laugh that is laughing at their foolishness. It says that he will vex them. Well, what does the word vex mean? Did you use it this last week? Then think so. Well, it means that he will trouble them with little provocation. Provocation. So just keep pushing little things at them, pushing little things at them, and they think, "Oh, we got this there in India." Then you know, one thing about a lot of people today, but especially the left, they never stop and think about the consequences of what they do. And and they'll start off to do something that's wrong, and God will just throw a little block in there and and give them trouble from it. Um, but in spite of their opposition, in spite of all they're going to do, in spite of their fighting everything they can against God and His anointed, which is, of course, Jesus Christ, in spite of that, God will establish His King in Zion. I look at this world today, and, and, and I, I, I can't believe that it's happening. It's just beyond me to believe that people are so foolish as to let this stuff happen. But the Bible says that they have a reprobate mind and so. But he will establish his kingdom. The millennium is coming. I don't care what the all millennialists and all those kind of people say. It's going to come. He will establish. But it will not be established by the church winning the world for Christ and getting it ready for his return. 
It will not uh, be started by the emerging churches and kingdom builders and those kinds of people. It will not be established by them. They're not going to do it. If they think they are, well, then they're sure doing a bad job because things are not getting better. They're getting worse. It will be established by God's almighty power and a rod of iron at Christ's return. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. And I'm not talking about the rapture when I say his return here tonight. I'm talking about when he comes back to the earth. But in Revelation 19:15, he says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath and wrath of Almighty God. This world thinks it's so smart, and we see things lining up for a time called the tribulation and the great tribulation, those as we flow into that. And we see that lining up, and the wine press of God is going to squash a lot of things. I mean, that's what wine presses are for. I mean, uh, you see sometimes in the movies where you see somebody in there in Italy and stuff, and they're all in there with their bare feet stomping the grapes, and I guess they used to do that. But they have presses now that are much more powerful than that. But they're nothing compared with the wine press of God. And, and the, the, the punishment, the, the payment is coming. You cannot violate God's principles and get away with it. You might think you do for a while, but sooner or later it always catches up with you. And then we come to Christ. He's the king. The, the only begotten of God. The King is God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And He will sit on this earth and He will rule for a thousand years on this earth without people being changed. I mean, the saved people will be changed. I'm not talking about that, but people will still be the same as they are right now. Those that survived the tribulation and those that are born during the, the tribulation period, they'll still be sinners that need to be saved. We don't talk too much about that, but, but he will rule over the heathen, all nations. He's going to rule this whole earth. There'll be nothing that's not under his rule. The whole earth, the uttermost parts of the earth, it tells us, will be his. And he already owns it all anyway, but it'll be his. Those who rage against the plan of God will be broken like a smashed potter's vessel. Now, what does that mean? You take a clay pot, and you take a rod of iron, you smash it, and it just comes to a million pieces. And that's what's, com that's what's coming for those who rage against God. It'll be smashed as a potter's vessel. Uh, listen to this uh, from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God's going to let all this happen. But I'd like to just point out a couple of things in this. I mean, I could spend the whole night just on this one passage right here because there's so much fantastic stuff in there. But... The government's going to be on his shoulder. When he comes back in Revelation chapter 19, he will be ruling. And there will be no question about who's ruling. 
going to rule with a rod of iron. Those who, who uh, disobey will be punished correctly and rapidly. There will be judgment during that time. Now here's something that I think that's rather interesting that the Bible says. It's just a thought that just popped into my mind. But somebody who dies when they're a hundred years old during the millennium will be considered very young. So, so we're going to live longer lives, but this is going to be because there's justice and things are done right. Uh, he's called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Okay, he's going to be a just judge. Justice uh, um, and peace will reign from that time forever. There will be a short interruption, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes. But, but uh, there's going to be a thousand years where justice is always just. There's going to be a thousand years when there will be peace. There won't be any wars. We won't need tanks and cannons and bombardiers and all those kinds of things. We won't need that stuff. It's going to be peace for a thousand years. I mean, that's going to be a pretty good time to live. Now, we're going to be back here, but we'll be in our immortal bodies. But uh, that's going to be a pretty good time for those who aren't yet uh, changed physically to live. However, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Even after a thousand years of peace and justice, wicked men will still turn against God. They still will. Uh, here we are in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. It says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loose out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, uh, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now Satan is going to be tied up for those thousand years. He'll be chained up. Like I say, it's going to be a great time. He won't be out there. But as soon as he's let out, just for a short season, just for a little short time, just for that, there is going to be a great number of people who will choose him over Christ. It says, as the sands of the sea. It's a lot of people. After having that perfect reign with a perfect, loving, merciful, but just ruler for a thousand years, people still won't learn. That shows how much sin has really tainted the hearts of men. They're going to gather around uh, God's people and they're going to think they're going to take them out and then God's going to send fire down from heaven and devour them. But eventually, or finally I guess I should say, they will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And this should motivate us a little bit, so will all those who choose to follow them. Then the last part of the psalm gives advice to kings and rulers. It tells them to be wise and to learn. They're, they should be learning the precepts of God 
and following them because the precepts of God always, always, always work. They're always the best. There are no exceptions. They never fail. I said, well, you don't know my situation. I don't care your situation. If God said to follow this precept, follow it. You'll find at the end of your situation, you will be much better off than you were if you didn't. Just take some of the things that, that we see in the New Testament with the apostles after, uh, after the death of Christ and is there in their persecution and stuff. I mean, take Stephen, for example. Stephen could have shut his mouth and not get hit with all those stones, not died. Was it a good thing? Yeah, he got to go to heaven. So, no matter what, it's always best to follow God's precepts. Uh, it says there to serve the Lord with fear. Now, that fear is not a fear of, uh, oh, he comes around and you cower. It's a fear of knowing the power that he has and how he will deal with us if we violate his principles. It's not talking about being afraid of him, but it's having a fear that causes us to want to do what's right before him. And that's the kind of fear it is. It says we're to re rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be uh, angry. What, what was a, a kiss in those days? It was a sign of submission. It still is. I mean, they would kiss an idol to uh, show their submission. When you kiss an idol, you're saying, I submit to the God that that idol represents. How about when you kiss the Pope's ring? Isn't that a, a sign of, a sub, of submission to the Pope? The kiss also is, and let's get the full scope of it, it's a sign of tenderness and of love also. When, when we kiss our wives, we're showing our love. But we're also showing that we're submissive where we should be submissive to them because the Bible says submitting yourselves one to another, talking about husbands and wives. So it's a sign of submission also. It says, um, kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Doesn't take a lot of wrath, of God's wrath to destroy us. Just a little, just takes a little bit of it. And then the last phrase in, in the chapter, or the last sentence in the chapter says, blessed are they that put their trust in him. You know, in Psalms 33:12 it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Then it goes on beyond that, but I just wanted to use that part of it. Folks, there has been a rebellion against God since the Garden of Eden. Through the centuries, man has never ceased to rage against Jehovah God. Now, there have been those that were faithful to him. I mean, we can go back through and, I mean, even Adam and Eve, once they realized their error, they were faithful. Abel was faithful. And we can come on down with Abraham and Moses and, and the prophets and, and David and Solomon and, and those people. We can look at these people. There have been faithful people. Look at Paul and, and look at people alive in our world today. There are still faithful people. But overall, the world has been at rage against God. In the 19th century, there was a major jump forward in this rage. There was something that held us back prior to them. But I think we can say we really started uh, the Laodicean church age in the, in the 19, or 1800s, in the, in the 19th century. There were more isms than we could count that were started in that period of time. The, in, it was in the 20th century, though, that those isms really started to take root 
and started to bear fruit. You know, it takes a while for a plant to grow to the point where it produces fruit. Uh, some trees, it takes several years before they can produce fruit. Those anti-God people took over our educational system in the early 1900s through the effort of a man called Jane, uh, John Dewey. He's the father of progressive education. The education in our secular schools is a system that was put together by him. He was the co-author of the Communist Manifesto. And he said that God is a faded piece of metaphysical goods. With that kind of philosophy behind our educational system, can we understand why things are the way they are today? There's no reason not to understand it. The increase in rage was one of the major signs of the times in which we live in. The only good thing about it is it tells us that the return of our Lord is soon. But man has been raging against God from the beginning, and he has uh, really started expanding in our, well, some of us older people in our grandparents' generation and in our generation. And folks, we need to really look at this. It should motivate us to be more faithful to our Lord and our Savior. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.